Mark 13, good to see you. We had lots of visitors today. We had some visitors actually that were from a church that I served just outside Detroit for 10 years. It, it kind of, you know, it's not all about us. We get that. But three of our shepherds used to be members of that church. And then we get visitors here. And then we got Tammy McCullough that was from the church in Lancaster back in the 80s. That's kind of cool. It's, it's almost like it's family reunion. Mark 13. As we say in Scotland, 13. As we say in Ireland, 13. Uh, here's a 13. Um, as Jesus was leaving the temple, remember he's been there, they've been back and forth. He's been challenged by each of the groups, Sadducees, the Pharisees, by the scribes, and he's gone back at them. Uh, this has been a verbal argument battle. By the way, difference between argument and assertion. I wish I could teach Facebook and Twitter the difference. Assertion is, you're an idiot. <laughs> That's a, an argument is, here's why I believe you're an idiot. Let me lay out the evidence. In our society, we have forgotten what an argument is, and we say we're arguing when we're just asserting, and they yell past each other. Um, Jesus didn't assert. He argued. He put his evidence out there. As he's leaving the t temple, one of his disciples looked, said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Let's get some history. Herod, the whole family of Herod, the uh, whole Herod family, were megalomaniacal, homicidal, familial-cidal, evil. They, they just were. The, um, whenever it says Herod the Great, that doesn't mean he was, oh, that's a great guy. It just means he was, he was a more powerful Herod among the different Herods. They, they killed each other. They killed others indiscriminately. He wanted to be viewed, however, as a Jew. He had some Jewish blood, but he wanted to be really looked upon as a Jew and a leader of the Jews. One of his ways to do this was building projects that the Jews would like so that they would accept him. The temple was one of his building projects. This had been going on for decades. This was a massive project. And if you remember, we often call Jesus as the son of a carpenter, but I've told you that that word we're finding out when we find it more in ancient literature generally refers to a stonemason. So no wonder as they leave, they'd be saying, hey, look at the stonework here. This is amazing. This is beautiful stuff. Look at this. And it was. It truly was, from all accounts, an amazing building, an amazing project. But Jesus wasn't in the mood for that. So he says, do you see all these great buildings? Replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now the next verse, there's a separation of time. I don't know if that means that the apostles didn't know what to say or if we just didn't get that recorded. But that would kind of shut down the conversation. Think about it. One of the things that I used to do, I don't do it much anymore because I think I've learned what I'm doing. I love cars. I do. I, I love cars. And if I was a multimillionaire, I'd be one of those that had the, the garage full of 20 or 30 you know, cars that you can't touch. Because I'm, I'm a human being, I'm sinful, I, that's probably where I'd go. Uh, however, before I buy a car, I used to go 
drive past the buy here, pay here lots. You know what I mean? These cars have been through several owners. Some of them have been cobbled together from several cars. It's kind of like, that's four of the best cars I've ever owned right there. There's generally a dog and a guy with a wallet, and they're both on a chain. And, and you know, they'll come out, and they'll, they'll make some, you know, you, and you better pay there. They, they release the dog. And it just reminds me, once upon a time, somebody looked at that vehicle and said, that will make me happy. And it did for a while. Let's be honest, it does for a while. Driving around in Tennessee, I see this a lot, because you're an older state. You drive around and you see way off there in the field, there's a house that's rotting. So, and you think, that was magnificent. There were columns on that. There had to have been a winding drive with, with magnolias or crepe myrtles that, that led you up to there. Sometime, that was going to make me happy. That came to mind once in this church that was up near Detroit when I walked in my office one morning and noticed that the guitars were gone. I went, huh. I assumed that the children's ministry might need them, but later on that day it was obvious, no, they didn't take them. They'd been stolen. Well, we'd, le we'd leave our building open and used it all the time. We didn't regulate who was in and out, and these things happened. Well, because it's in the Detroit area, and we'd converted a lot, it was a church of about 1,200, 70-some percent of whom had not had a church before. So that was a lot of fun. But we had some tough guys that were members of our church. A lot of tattoos, looked like they'd rolled around in a tackle box, that kind of person. And they were saying, we'll go to all the pawn shops, and we're going to find them. And I said, you know, guys, let them go. Because, frankly, I'm going to have to let them go one day. If, it, if it's today, okay. One day I'm going to have to let them all go. I'm not going to be able to have them. Good, wonderful elder who's a friend of ours in West Virginia resigned the eldership when he got too old and too many things going on. He and his wife moved into assisted living, one bedroom. And um, I went to see him. I said, Byron, how are you doing? And he looked at me and he said, well, I'm glad I don't have a box of matches. That was not the answer I was expecting. I wondered, are, do you want to burn the place down? I mean, what? And I said, why? And he said, because I don't have a place to put them. What does age do? What, does years, what do years do? It takes away. And you, you begin to, that's got to go now. I told them, if I don't let them go now, they're just going to be kindling for the end of the world barbecue. You have to be willing to let it go. Peter even says, knowing that everything you see is going to be consumed with fire, what kind of life should you be living? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Now he goes ahead and answers it being Peter, not being Paul. He always has to answer his own questions. And he says, you know, to live a life righteous and holy and blameless. Okay, good. But Jesus is contemplating the end of his own earthly life. It's coming within days. They don't know that. And they're showing them a building being built by a tyrant and saying, isn't that cool? When as God, he knows everything you build will fall down. I, a couple years ago, I was invited to speak at the Christian Church Men's Forum in Indianapolis. For the Independent Christian Church, 
Indianapolis is like Nashville is for the churches of Christ. It's their Jerusalem. It's where all their big churches are. So I spoke and had a big crowd, but evidently not big enough. Several people came to me later, several leaders saying, we know you work with broken churches and such, and we need you to help us because this used to be a much bigger event, but every year it's getting smaller. What, what should we do? I looked at them and I said, we can talk about how you can change the event. And we can lay it out, and we can make some positive changes. But first of all, in your mind, you must remember one thing. They said, what's that? I said, everything born of man dies. Every program ends. You've got to get that in your head. It's not a magical program. Do you remember bus ministries? Oh, my goodness. They sucked every bit of air and energy out of churches, didn't they? But this is going to transform us forever. And it worked for a while. What about the Jewel Miller film strips? They worked for a while. Everything dies. And that, some people say, that's very depressing. All right, no, hang on, let me explain. This week, I drive to Columbus, Ohio, to speak on death and dying to a bunch of medical professionals, and then I will drive back. If you've ever made that ride, you know that there are approximately 6,000 construction zones between here and Columbus, Ohio, and have been since Noah was in dry dock. They are not in a hurry. Let's say you're driving that, and you're going, this is so boring. I wish, and then God says, when this ride is over, so are you. How would that change your perspective on the drive? All of a sudden, that would be a sweet drive. Oh, look at that orange barrel. That's the prettiest orange barrel I've ever, I'm going to circle back. Because that one's, that one's, no, hey, look at that one. You got competition now. You would enjoy the ride. You wouldn't be doing like I do when I drive in northwest Ohio, which is, where is it? There's, there's nothing there. Your dog can run away, and three days later, you still see him. And, and everything interesting in northern Ohio, the ice glacier scraped it and put it in West Virginia. It's not there. And so you're going, oh, this is horrible, until God says, this is your last ride. Then it becomes very interesting, doesn't it? It's sweet. You'd be asking people, I'm going to slow down, pour petrol in while I'm going. You don't want it to end. The very thing you couldn't wait till it ended, now you don't want it to end. That's why we're in hospital beds, hooked up to everything, in pain, sick, and still fighting for that next breath. Because it's limited, it's valuable. So when I talk about everything that lives dies, and everything you buy is going to rot or go away, I'm not being depressing. I'm telling you, enjoy it now. Love it now. I'm aware that every time I leave my house might be the last time I get to see my wife. Therefore, I make sure I tell her I love her and that she's pretty. I'm, every time. I try, if, she let, if she slows down enough, I'll kiss her like I'm cleaning the, the, the drains. Because, I, I, it, bad picture, but I, I, want, I want her to know. You know. I want her to be left with that memory again. <laughs> That'll keep her from dating. Um, the point is, the apostles didn't understand that their whole system was going to go away. Jesus says the temple's going to be knocked down. What's he saying? Judaism, as advanced in the Pentateuch, is gone. Still is. 
Now, please understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying the Pentateuch's not important. I'm not saying the Old Testament's not important. It's desperately important, and we don't spend enough time there. But there's no Jew alive on the planet today who can tell you what tribe they're from. The records were destroyed in AD 70. There's, they were dis, the people were dispersed. Therefore, you cannot reconstitute the Pentateuch-style worship today. You don't have Levites. You don't have the, the different sect. You don't have that. They worship as best they can, and God bless them. But J Jesus is saying, this is over. This will be ended. Something new has come. Something which God has been preparing the ground for for thousands of years is about to hit. Don't put your trust in the building. That's kind of important to remember, isn't it? Now, I know Christians that are opposed to buildings. I'm not. I'll, and the there are many reasons, but one of the reasons is I'm opposed to a palace, sure. And I'm not sure where that tipping point is. I love a building because it's a base for weddings, funerals, celebrations, sharing stories, doing great work. And we can do more when there are more of us. So I love that. But it's never to be about the building. Because one of these days, the building won't be here. We won't be here. The apostles are a little disturbed by this. Actually, they're quite a lot disturbed by this. Matthew will go into much more detail about this than Mark does. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? You need to really get this in your head. The questions asked in Mark are not the questions asked in Matthew. In Matthew, the answer is to their questions, not to those asked in Mark. Let me explain. Here, when will the temple thing go, and what are the signs that it's about to happen? In Matthew, when will the temple thing go, and while you're talking, what are the signs of the end of the world? Different questions. All right, so when we get to Matthew, we're going to learn different things. First, Jesus says to them, and I find this amazing, Watch out that no one deceives you. Let's stop right there. I'm 60 years old. The world's been in the last days all of my life. What about you? People are always, I've had dentists with stuff in my mouth. I don't know why they think I'd like to talk now. And they'll say, well, you look at the news and you're, we've got to be living in the last days, huh? Now, I don't want to say, you idiot, because he has sharp things in my mouth. So normally, I, uh, seriously, one dentist was in there working and telling me, they've been looking into this Nostradamus thing, and he's really got some, and I'm going, this guy has sharp tools in my mouth, a person that believes in Nostradamus. Anyway, so now I always ask my dentist, do you believe in, no, I don't. Um, watch out that no one deceives you. Do you remember when the world ended in 2011? It was everywhere. It was going to end in May, I think. There was a date. A guy that worked for NASA figured it out, so it's got to be right. Really? <laughs> I don't know what job he had in NASA. It could have been janitor. But he, he had it, or it could have been head engineer. Don't care. There were pamphlets, 88 reasons why the world will end. Do you remember that one? If you don't, our memories get short. There were billboards. It was all over. 
I remember on that day, people texting each other, basically, are you still here? I texted a bunch of people. I didn't know phones work up here. Things are great. Where are you? <laughs> Frightened them. Cammie wouldn't let me do what I wanted to do. I wanted to get some clothes and put them on the front yard and stuff them with dry ice so they'd be steaming. <laughs> and call my neighbors and say, where are you? And so they'd look out the window and go, oh, no. Anyway, um, the, I have time. I only work Sundays. And remember the whole left behind stories? People clutched, clutched those like scripture, did they not? I want to give you a little challenge. You don't have to do it. I want to challenge you to find a time in the last 2,000 years where people weren't saying it's the signs at the end of the world. I can't find one. The eclipse, they're going to do it again. There's going to be somebody out there in robes saying, take me Jesus. And weird thing is, religions that are started on this concept, even when it fails, they continue. Seventh-day Adventist, Advent means God coming back. They put a date and time, sold all their stuff, and climbed on houses. Didn't happen. So they made a new date, climbed on houses. It would be first, didn't happen. A lot of religion started with false prophecy. I don't know when he's coming back, but I will tell you this. I'm not interested. I'm interested in the end of me, not the end of the world. And I want my ending to be a good ending. Understood? Now, you don't have to agree with me on this. We can disagree about this and still go to heaven. But the point is, watch that no one deceives you. So that you're not with Jim Jones out in the middle of the guy on a woods drinking laced Kool-Aid. Or you're not eating laced applesauce with that apple white guy in California. You're not fooled. Watch that no one deceives you is the first thing out of Jesus' mouth. Don't you find that interesting? Why? Many will come in my name. Remember we talked about that in the sermon. They will use Jesus' name without his authority. Claiming, I am he. What about the, the Moonies, the Unification Church? Sung Young Moon says, he is Christ. No, you're not. But a lot of people buy it. I am he and will deceive many. Look at the things he names. When you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Think about this. Do you remember... Um, when all the, the writing on this really hit big in the 70s, I'm trying to remember what the name of the book was now. Uh, Great Late Planet Earth, right? And they read Revelation as this is the war against the Soviet Union and the U.S. The locusts were Cobra helicopters. I mean, they had something for everything. People bought it. They bought it for 20 years. Now there's no Soviet Union. Now what do you do? Well, now it's Iraq. Well, now it's North Korea. People have said, are you worried about North Korea? No. Why? Because there's nothing I can do about it. I worry about things that I need to change. I can't do anything about North Korea. What if they launch a nuclear weapon? I won't know it. <laughs> I will be fine. And on Judgment Day, God will recollect my atoms because they don't go anywhere. You cannot create or destroy energy or matter. I'll be fine. But what happens? Every time there's a war, people think, this is it. This is the end of the world. 
No, probably not. But what about the uh, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places. Let's stop there. Natural occurring events always trigger end-of-the-world stories. They do. And preachers tend to use them. The most egregious one, and I have no personal animus against the man, but back in the 1990s, Disney, Disney World, made official gay pride days at their park. Pat Robertson came on and said God was going to judge Disney for that, and he wouldn't be surprised to see more hurricanes come that direction. Hurricanes in Florida. Haven't seen those before. Definitely be a sign of the odd. You see what I'm going for here? During the AIDS thing, people were trying to say that's God's judgment against gays. My response was, if he's trying to kill gays, he has horrible aim. Because he's killing a lot of people who aren't gay through the blood supply and the like. No, it isn't God's judgment against, but you see, people do this. Jesus says, don't be deceived. That's not me. I'm not doing that. It happens. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. This is the beginning of birth pains. Paul says that the whole world is in birth pains, praying to be delivered. You must be on your guard. Bad things are going to happen to you, he says. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. Think about this, guys. This is not really a pre-football speech. We're going to kill him. He's saying, they're going to take you, and they're going to beat the back off of you, which is what flogging did. It removed all the skin. They had, it, they had it down to a science. They knew how many times they could hit you before you died. So they did it one less. The 39, that was one less. It was done on purpose. When I say they, the Romans, I don't think the Jews had a flogging thing. Uh, but I could be wrong there. I could be very wrong. Um, they, they did flog, but I, and there was a 39 rule. But I don't think they used the kind of whip that the Romans used. But, uh, but I could be wrong. Like I said, the point is, you're going to go through some bad times. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. I want to stop there. Can I jump into conjecture? Would that be all right with you guys? But I really want red flags on the field. This is Patrick. This is not scripture. Everybody cool? You got that? I wonder if there's not a set, there is no set date for the return of Jesus, but rather a set cir uh, circumstance when we finally preach the gospel to all nations, because we haven't. And Jesus said, it's got to happen. We've not done it for a variety of reasons, not, most of them not good. We've not done it. But people will respond, but, but Jesus said, the Father knows the day and the time. Yeah, let's talk about that. Do you have a teenager who wants to drive? Can I borrow the car? I'd like to go to the end of the driveway and get the mail. They, they, they just they want to drive. And you're going, not yet. Well, when? When I think you're ready. You know the day and the time. You don't, it's not March 23rd. It is when the day and the time is when I feel I can trust them. Or dating. You got, you got a kid wants to date? You say you're not old enough. Well, how old is old enough? I'll tell you. 
you as the father or the mother know what you're looking for. Consider that, that it might not be a calendar date, but rather as where have we arrived? What have we done? I'm not alone in believing that, by the way. One of the men that founded this congregation believes that, Alexander Campbell. That's why his first paper was called The Millennial Harbinger. He believed that if we could unite the churches in faith and do our job, Jesus would come back. So, now we'll go back to Scripture. Patrick appreciates you allowing him to visit with you. The gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, stop there. The word whenever is interesting, isn't it? I would have much preferred, if I was Peter, Andrew, James, and John, I would have much preferred if ever. What does whenever indicate? It is going to happen. People, write it down. When all hell is breaking loose, you're, you might be doing something right. When all hell's breaking loose, you might be on the right side. And that's why it is. Just a thought. He says, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Uh, how hard is that? That's pretty hard for me. I practice in my head constantly. Just say whatever's given you at that time. By the way, I know a preacher in Arkansas. I won't say where because there are a lot of churches there. Half the church wants him to stop doing what he's doing and study. He doesn't believe he needs to because he gets this verse. He goes, no, I just stand up and God gives me what I'm going. You know something? He gave you a tongue. That's good. Also gave you a brain. You might want to study to show yourself approved unto God. He's not buying it. Just say whatever's given at the time for it. It's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. I think I may have told this story before. If I have, please forgive me. I preached the world's worst sermon. No, I don't know. I don't care what you've heard. This was worse. It went nowhere. This was a lead turkey trying to get off the ground. I knew it wasn't going anywhere within three minutes. And I struggled to drag that turkey into the sky. And about halfway through the sermon realized it will not fly. This is awful. I don't know what I was thinking. And I just stopped. I didn't do the rest of it. I just pointed at the song leader. We didn't have a worship guy. Had to wake him up. Point at the song leader. Just, just sing. You had to have an invitation song. So we had one. I'm just standing there going, just, just kill me now, God. I, it was a bad one. It was bad. And a lady came forward. I just looked at her for a while. I said, have a seat. She sat down. They're still singing. It's just as I am. We got lots of time. That's 23 verses, I think. Um, and so I, I, I've all, I always ask, how can I help you? Because you never assume. You learn that quickly in a ministry. You never assume. A little girl came forward once. I'm going, man, she's too young for me to be baptizing. Like six. What, how can I help you? She said, where's the restroom? I can do that. You know, so we, but it, there was one woman at one church where they asked me to help after she came forward and wanted to be baptized and such, she was in there changing, and she came and looked at me with her eyes big. She goes, I didn't know about any of this. So you don't assume. So I said, 
what would you like? She goes, I'd like to be baptized. That's a thread on the sweater. I'm going for it. Um, I said, that's wonderful. We will take care of that. When did you come to that decision? She said, during your sermon. I, I still got to go in. Lena, I said, what was it I said? And she said some things which were really wonderful, but I didn't say them. God taught me a lesson that day. Sometimes the sermon people hear is not the one I preached. Just stand up, show up, do your job. Let God do his. And it will work out. I was very humbled by that moment. I've told that story many times. Um, and when people like to call me the spark plug of the congregation, I remind them that's the most often changed part. <laughs> the, uh, it's, uh, it's not about me. It's about him. Um, brother will betray brother to death. A father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. How horrid is this? Have we seen it? Of course we've seen it. Dictatorships all over the world do this. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Got a question. For, I'm not a runner. I think everybody knows that. We accept this. You see me running, try to catch up. There's a bomb. Um, that's all I can say. If you see me running more than three blocks, tell the bus driver to stop. My sleeve's caught in the door. The, I, I don't run. The only marathon I've ever done in my life was the Mythbusters marathon. I enjoyed that very much. <laughs> that said, if I were a runner and I needed to run a marathon, how, how many miles is that? 26.2. I saw a sticker once that said 28.5, and underneath it said, I got lost. Okay. I want to run the marathon, and I run 26.1 miles. That's impressive, people. That is very impressive. But I don't get, I don't, I don't get the plaque. You got to finish. Even if you're crawling, you got to finish. And Jesus here is not talking about salvation by works. Don't, do not conflate that. We are saved. But what he's saying is, you may be crawling over the line, not dancing. You may be pulling others across the line who can't even walk. Stay faithful to the end. Stick it out to the end. You know, I'm not going to go to Cammy later and say, we've been married 38 years. That's long enough, right? <laughs> no. You stick it out to the end, right? Same here. You're in a relationship. But unlike a marriage, he's saying, this one will bite you. You do this right, people will bite you. How hard is that to hear? Does this sound like the TV preachers you've heard? Uh, and I don't have any animus against them. I'm just saying every time I watch them, they seem to be pretty triumphant. Sometimes you're not going to be triumphant. Sometimes you're going to be Job, sitting in ashes, scraping at your skin with broken pottery, while your wife says, curse God and die. That's what faithfulness looks like sometimes. When I first went to that church in, in the Detroit area, man, we loved it. We, we really loved it. And we would not have left except I trained my staff and people were hiring the staff away. And I realized, no, I got to step out and let them step up. I did. They did. Things are going great. They're doing great without me. I, I, I resent that. Uh, but they are. First got there. Only been there a few months. And the elders pulled me into a room. Good men. Good men all. And they said, uh, now that you're here, 
we, we would like for you to craft a five-year vision for the church. And I went, no. They were not used to that. Every minister they had was going, okay. And I went, no. So then they explained what a five-year vision was, like I'd never heard of one. And I said, no. And they said, why not? I said, two reasons. One, I don't want to plan the Holy Spirit out of a job. And you can make this so complicated, he's got no room to move. And two, if I do my job, you might not have 500 next year. You might have five. That did not comfort them. But we talked about this chapter, and we abandoned that. We decided, let's let the Holy Spirit do what he does. That's where I stay. And I know some of you plan everything. I get that. I understand it. But this is the Holy Spirit's gig. You got to let him move where he's going to move. He's about to, about to leap into another subject. Everybody cool right now? Or do you want to say something? Okay. When you see the abomination that causes desolation. What? And a what? What is that? Well, you got to know Daniel. And you can read it in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Daniel chapter 11 and verse 31. And Daniel, in 12, uh, Daniel 12, 11. It means the sign that desolation is coming. Something abominable is coming. Well, when you go back there and you see what Nebuchadnezzar did to the Jews, he's saying that's coming and it's going to come in the same way. You're going to see it come. What is the abomination that causes desolation? At this point, I have to leap into what is probably true, but it may not be. May I? I'll do the best I can. When Titus, a Roman general, um, pretty, pretty bad guy, marched with his legions, they had the standard of the eagle and the name, rather the number of his legions, which by the way, if you added it up, is 666. When they marched and they came into Jerusalem, they came to end it. And they did. It could be that, because look what he says. You see it standing where it does not belong. He took it into the Holy of Holies. He put it in the temple. Rather like the Greeks earlier, Antiochus Epiphanes, sacrificing a pig on the altar. That's what Titus did. I don't think he did the pig thing. But he, he defiled it in every way he could. You see it where it does not belong. Let the reader understand. By the way, that probably was not written by Mark. That was probably written by a monk or a scribe as sometime it comes in because it's not in our oldest manuscripts. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let one, no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. It's going to be the end of the Jewish system. A system which has done so well for God and for his people, for a people he loves. But that's all going to end when the temple goes away. And this very day, there are people at that western wall praying. And I think that matters to God. I, I, I think he respects that. And they put little pieces of paper in that wall 
of prayers, but it's gone. And I think it's perfectly acceptable to mourn it 2,000 years later. It's gone. It'll be something you've never seen before. The Jews always came back, didn't they? They were always brought back. You're not coming back this time. This time, you're being scattered. And it's going to happen so fast, you don't have time to get anything or anybody. You've got to run. Kind of reminds me of those drills we had in school. Nuclear war drills. Did you have any of those? You do a siren and you were to put your head under your desk. That's so they can find the bodies later. That, 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 that does not protect you from anything. You know, it's for Micah. We can't come in. Anyway, um, we believed they were coming through to pull the gap, didn't you? No, we believed it. Believed it all my life. Then it didn't happen. I remember being in a hotel in Terre Haute, Indiana. Don't recommend the experience. It's not the garden city of the Midwest. Looking at this unfold on television and looking over at Cammie and saying, you know, the fall of the Soviet Union, saying, I don't know who I'm supposed to be against now. Because all of our life, boom. Now it's not there. And I'm going, I'm, who am I supposed to hurt? <laughs> who am I supposed to fight? I don't know what to do now. This wasn't a threat that didn't happen. It came. And you had to run. Now look, interestingly, at a tense in 20. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. God's already decreed this won't continue long. Once it hits, it's going to stop. So the Romans did drive them out of Jerusalem. They also took Masada. But they didn't chase them into Europe. They didn't chase them into North Africa. They didn't chase them down the, uh, uh, the Arabian Peninsula. They did end. And the Jews were then be able to establish new communities in the scattering. You know what the word for the scattering is? Diaspora. They were in a diaspora. And they even thrived in many of these communities. But God did stop this from chasing them after a while. By the way, time's about out, but he, he also hits another warning. Do not, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. Why are we spending so much time on the end of the world? When it would be much more healthy to put that time into loving people now and making this world a little bit more like heaven. He says, false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. You've been warned. That's what he's saying. There's more here. And I'd like to leap into it, but our time is over. So I'm going to end here. We'll pick up next week, Lord willing, with what does it mean when it says the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light? There's a specific meaning when Jews use those phrases. We'll start there. Okay? Any last questions or comments? Speaking of the diaspora, this is kind of my class. All right, cheerio, run away. <laughs>